and uh, talking to you um, and sharing with you another blog post, blog, whatever you want to call this. And uh, today's topic is about manipulation. I learned a new term this week. It's called um, catfish. I don't know whether you've heard of catfish, but it's a, it's a fish in America that's called with whiskers on it. But in this case, uh, a friend of mine said that she had been catfished. I'm like, what on earth is she talking about? And apparently it's um, related to somebody uh, sharing a picture of themselves or saying something about themselves that is not exactly true to themselves. And she was received, she received this picture of this guy um, who wanted her to follow him. And it was a picture of Brad Pitt. And of course, it wasn't Brad Pitt, it was somebody else. And this person had uh, said that they, yeah, they, they were trying to produce, to be somebody else that they weren't and to get them uh, some sort of uh, connection going. And <laughs> it's a manipulation, isn't it? And there is so much of it going on, not just on the internet, throughout our whole world where we where people try and trick you and manipulate you into doing something that you don't probably actually want to do. You know, and so many times I've seen it happen to me. And actually, I was, <laughs> I was, I think, possibly catfished this week. I got this email from uh, someone saying how much they really enjoyed reading a particular blog post that I'd written a few years ago. And that they had written a similar post and wanted me to have a look at it and to send them some advice on how to improve it and so on and so on. So, so I looked at it and I sent back an email saying, hey, a couple of things I think would make it better. And um, so I got got the uh, response back from them and they said, oh, thanks very much. Hey, would you mind if you um, shared um, my blog post, their blog post, on your Twitter profile? <laughs> and a medium like, hold on, they're wanting me to do something. So I looked at their Twitter profile and here was a very pretty young blonde woman. And I'm like, is this person for real? Are they being manipulative? Because I've got 13,000 people following me on Twitter. And they've only, they have only had about five or 600. So I'm like, uh, I'm not sure. I'm, just, I'm not sure whether they're, they're, they're trying to manipulate me. So um, if you've got any ad advice or, or suggestions about what I should do about that let me know. But uh, so, many, you know, so many times I've watched people do it. You know, they've said a few words, um, suggested some options, uh, smiled in a certain way, you know, and waited. And it, and it wasn't long before the bait is grabbed <laughs> and the person grabs the bait and they run with it. And I've seen this happen so many times and I wondered how many times people had fallen to this particular person's sly and subtle manipulation. They were so good at it. Uh, such an expert. And their success, their control was based on their ability to get others to do what they wanted them to do. What's it like to be manipulated? What's it like to realise you've just been tricked? or manipulated, you know, to have someone use all sorts of little tricks and techniques to to further their own cause. Well, you may have heard of the phrase, the oldest trick in the book, and it refers to 
uh, a way of tricking someone that is still effective, although it has been used so many times before. And you'll see it everywhere. <laughs> Those advertisements for the cosmetics that will turn back the clock and remove all the wrinkles and you'll feel like 25 again. Or the advertising that promotes a particular tool <laughs> that you'll be able to build a house just like all the other guys, the successful guys. <laughs> or give your money to this church building project and God will bless you with abundance and prosperity, whatever that might mean to you. Or come to Jesus and all your problems will disappear. And Jesus never said that, by the way. He probably said more the opposite. <laughs> And actually, the oldest trick in the Bible, in the book, is actually in the book, in the Bible. And I'm going to suggest that the oldest trick, that sly manipulation, was one that came from a snake. And in Genesis, we read that now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? That, that's crafty. Yeah, it's about being creative. And look, I know someone who who can take a piece of some pieces of driftwood, flax, twine, twigs and cane and craft and, and um craft them into a beautiful basket. You know, crafty can be good. It's creative. It's uh, twisting and bending and making something out of the raw materials on offer. But crafty can be bad. It can be twisting the truth manipulating, bending a few words, sending a different picture to what's truth, um, all for to something different to the original intention. You see, that little question, did God really say? It's just a sly little question. And it's like a hook to open up a doubt about whether God is holding out on something. And it is the oldest trick in the book. To raise a doubt, to suggest a lack, to whisper, you're missing out. Um, it's comparison, and you're the one that's lacking. I think of uh, the prodigal son leaving the father, thinking he knew better about where life could be found. And then his older brother whining that he had missed out on something. You see... I think there is a truth that is deeper and better than the trick. And it's so profoundly good that, that we're not even aware of it. <laughs> and Jesus, in the story of the loving father or prodigal son, speaks truth to the trick. And um, the loving father says to the son, the older son, you're with me all the time, and everything that is mine is yours. You see, that was the awareness that we had as humanity before believing the trickery of the serpent, the Satan, the accuser. You know, there was complete closeness uh, and fulfillment. You know, and even Satan tried it on with Jesus. Look, you can have it all if you just bow down to me. Jesus already had it all, and he knew it. You see, when I was a child, uh, and in the church denomination I grew up, the pastor was called minister. And other churches had priests, pastors, and vicars. We had a minister. They were to minister to the church, to the needs of the church. Yet so often, then and now, I find many ministers, sadly, are more often manipulative in their ministry. 
Now this of course is done with good intentions, but I wonder if what we do as ministers, and I include myself here, is more about manipulation than true selfless ministry. It's about reaching a goal rather than sharing a grace. We have a goal, so we will manipulate a response. Come to Christ or you'll burn in hell. Yep, I heard that one. The Bible says this, so you need to do this. And what about this one? The songs we sing, the lights, smoke machines, um, carefully crafted words, loud music, soft music, all to get that feedback that the worship was so good. You know, and I think of, um, you know, Frank, he slips out of the pew and he has a coffee with a man in the streets. Jenny, um, she visits the depressed woman next door who struggles to get out of bed, clean the dishes and open the curtains. And she listens deep. And I wonder where the man of sorrows would much rather be. <laughs> hmm. I want to overflow you. Uh, imagine if you can, um, three really close friends. They know everything about each other. And individually they want to outdo each other in giving goodness to each other. And essentially one of them says to the other, I'm so excited to um, so excited to know you that I want to overflow in ministry to you. I want to flood you with love. And the other two, they have a chuckle and a laugh of joy. And then individually, they repeat back to the others the same words. I'm going to outdo you in love. No, I'm going to outdo you in love. I'm going to outdo you in love. And, <laughs> and one of them says, has a, has a Clint Eastwood face and says, go ahead, make my day. And they all fall apart in laughter and then resume uh, this water fight of overflowing love, pouring down on each other. Whoosh, 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 whoosh. And they outdo each other in ministering to the other. And this back and forth overflowing is like a perpetual motion um, outpouring of trying to do each other out in love. And oh yes, and you're in the middle of the wash. You're getting splashed you're getting splashed with overflow, but you don't even know it. And then a, a serpent slithers alongside and, and spins a crafty lie. They're really holding out on you. They can't be that good. And then you shift your gaze ever so slight, and you're gone. I love what Simone Wheel, Wheel says, sin is not being far from God, it's turning our gaze in the wrong direction. You see, the oldest truth in the book, in the Bible, came alive when Jesus took on the role of the lowliest servant and washed his disciples' feet. Um, I'll read the passage. Uh, the evening meal was in progress, and this was the last meal. And the devil, and I'm just going to say this, the prince of manipulation, had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Just a little shift. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured, love that, poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped him around him. Here in Jesus' final meal, there was no servant to wash their feet. 
It was always the lowliest of the servants that would got the task of washing dirty, dusty feet. No one would ever say, pick me! <laughs> so Jesus chose to minister, and that was his mode of being. He was a minister, not a manipulator. He wasn't trying to manipulate a response. It was a job that needed doing, and he decided he would do it. Something of the life of communing with father, mother, spirit, you know, enjoying that flow, <laughs> that water fight, um, was pouring out sacrificially into the toes, the cuts, and the calluses of these men's feet, and I don't know, maybe some women's feet too. Just let your mind go there for a moment. Feel the water and the fingers of Christ work between your toes. Now this act of ministry caused a ruckus. The disciples didn't know quite what to make of it. <laughs> Jesus often caused a ruckus. What's it like being ministered to? To have love poured over your wounds, your tiredness, your depression, your anxiety. A ministry without any strings attached. Being foot massaged by someone being a conduit of Jesus' love. I wonder, in your relationships, are you more a minister or a manipulator? Now that, ouch, yeah, <laughs> that's a really tough question. So often I think we, without any awareness, lean more into manipulation than ministry. We have a subconscious accountant's brain sheet, balance sheet. Uh, I've done this for them, so they need to do this for me. And so often we do things for others in the hope of what we will receive back. When we don't, we get resentful, bitter, and turn down the flow. Here's some questions to grow in ministry, not in manipulation. Number one, what is your heart's goal? What is the deepest desire in your heart that you are aware of? Ask God to reveal the truest motivations for your actions. Number two, where are you being filled? If you're giving out in ministry, you're ministering to various people, family members, husband, wife, you're going to get tired and fatigued. So what fills your cup? For Jesus, it was a retreat in the mountains to being with a spirit and father, mother. Do you have people in your life that seem to naturally want to minister into the toes and crevices of your daily dusty walk? How does God minister into your tiredness? Number three, do you have personal lines of love and respect? Look, it's, it's okay to have limits on how much you can minister. Jesus didn't minister to everyone. He knew his personal earthbound limitations. So out of love and respect for yourself, himself, he was focused on what could, what he could and couldn't do. It's okay to say no or not at this moment. Number four, how are you a conduit between the goodness of God and the needs of others? And imagine yourself as being like a pipe and the goodness of God is flowing through you and pouring in, out into others. You pour God's love deep into others through your words and deeds. And in the pouring you see, um, I suppose, a refreshment coming to you personally from God. 
but you take care of the pipeline and you maintain its strength and integrity. That's always a challenge, isn't it? Am I in ministry mode or in manipulation mode? Am I operating now the purest of motivations? It's a fine line that only Spirit, Holy, can help you with. Here's some quotes for you to consider. Husbands and wives are to regard marriage as an opportunity to minister in a unique and special way to another human being, to be used of God to bring um, their spouses into a more satisfying appreciation of their worth as persons who are significant and secure in Jesus Christ. That's from Larry Crabb. Another piece from Larry. <laughs> the power of God is indispensable to altering one's commitments meaningfully. Until I am aware that my needs are already met in Christ, I will be motivated by emptiness to meet my needs. When by simple faith I accept Christ's shed blood as full payment for my sins, I am brought into a relationship with an infinite being of love and purpose who fully satisfies my deepest needs for security and significance. Therefore, I am freed from self-centered preoccupation with my own needs. They are met. It is now possible for me to give to others out of my fullness, rather than needing to receive from others because of my emptiness. For the first time, I have the option of living selflessly. Whew, you need to read that stuff again. This is from Mother Teresa. People are often unreasonable, irrational and self-centered. <laughs> Forgive them anyway. If you are kind, people may accuse you of selfish ulterior motives. Be kind anyway. If you are successful, you will win some unfaithful friends and some genuine friends. Succeed anyway. If you are honest and sincere, people may deceive you. Be honest and sincere anyway. What you spend years creating, others could destroy overnight. Create anyway. If you find serenity and happiness, some may be jealous. Be happy anyway. The good you do today will often be forgotten. Do good anyway. Give the best you have and it will never be enough. Give your best anyway. In the final analysis, it is between you and God. It was never between you and them anyway. Some questions for you to think about. How do you determine if we are in ministry or manipulation? Number two, what's it like to be dis to discover you've been manipulated? Number three, what's it like to receive the purest of ministry? No strings attached. I, I hope you found this helpful. Um, I hope you found a ministry in so many different ways to your soul and that uh, you will be able to find this um, and share this with somebody else. Uh, either share this as the, the podcast or the vlog or the however you receive it, just share it. You may want to come over to turningthepage.co.nz and um, read it on the blog post. Yeah, that would be great. And I just want to say a big thank you to those people who um, uh, support Turning the Page. It's pretty simple. Um, just come over to turningthepage.co.nz forward slash support. And um, that would be really wonderful. Hey, until next week, just consider, am I ministering or am I manipulating? 
and also look out for ways in which people are re responding to you. Do you think they're manipulating you or are they ministering to you? Tricky one. Okay, thanks very much and we'll see you next week.